For now, though, we're together this way, and so we're grateful for that. And if you're watching this live stream and, and you want to connect with us, uh, you can message us on Facebook, or you can email me at brian at sccc.org, or Pastor Jamie, jamie at sccc.org. Uh, and if requested, we can add you to our email list, and you can also go to the website, www.sccc.org. And so as a church family, we just want to reiterate that we are here for each other. And so please let us know of any needs that come up. We've already been helping with food and supplies for some folks who are uh, in dire need. And, uh, and, you know, the men's group in particular has stepped up and, and some other folks. So, uh, and again, um, only if this is your home church, we ask you please continue to support the ministry. Um, and then finally, uh, after you watch this live stream, please share it. Let's get the, the message of hope out to as many people as possible Um, People need to hear about the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, During these trying times, people are open and receptive to the message of the gospel. And so again, uh, do your part. It's evangelism to share uh, this message and allow God's spirit and his word to work through it. So let me just pray uh, for the service uh, and and, and then we'll transition to worship. So Father, we, we are grateful. We are grateful that the technology exists, that we can at least do this, that it, it's not a substitute for being together in person, but that it's still the power of your word and your spirit, and you're still going to touch people. You're still going to change lives and eternities, God. We don't need to be here in person for you to do your work. And so, Father, we pray that you have your way in and through each of us, God, that you have your way in this service, that it be a blessing to many. Father, we want to serve you well. We thank you that even when we're not faithful, that you are ever so faithful. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And so we're going to transition to worship now. And I'm particularly blessed to have my wife and daughter this morning lead us in worship. I know you will all be too. And I'm going to ask the cameraman to keep the the camera off of me just in case I get something in my eye, as it were. But uh, in all seriousness, I heard him practice, and I was so moved. Uh, And we are reminded that our hope is in Jesus, that he is our rock, and he is our strength. Amen. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. No power of hell, no 
Father, again, we just pray now that you bless the, the reading of your word, that you anoint this service, that everything that's of you be remembered, that seeds are planted, that you cause the growth, and everything not of you be forgotten. So, Father, use me as a vessel. Move me out of the way so you can speak through me with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to mention, you know, I know that not everybody has uh, access to, to Facebook or Facebook Live, and so there's podcasts available, so you can go to the, the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for SCCC, and you can just hear the audio, or you can just go to the website and hear the audio that way. And uh, we also, our, our apps are finally available for download, so you can go to the Apple Store, search for SCCC, and download our app. And in the app, you'll see all the videos, all the podcasts. It links to uh, our Facebook. And then in the Google Store, you have to put parentheses. So you put uh, parentheses or a quote, South Coast Community Church, and then another quote, and it'll come right up there. I know there were issues before. Um, and so with that, uh, this, the title of the message this morning is, is Taste and See. Following Jesus means more than just knowing about Him, though it certainly involves that. Following Jesus means more than just believing that He is the Son of God, though it certainly involves that. Following Jesus means more than just doing what Jesus told us to do, though again, it clearly involves that. To be a follower of Jesus ultimately means responding to a series of invitations to deeper intimacy with Him. The fact is that we can know the right things, we can believe the right things, and we can do the right things. But if at the heart of it all we are not falling more and more in love with the one who gave his life for us and who promises both an abundant or a full life here and now and an everlasting life with him in eternity, then we have missed the greatest joy of our salvation. For it is not simply what we know or what we do or who we know about. It is who we know. Who we know relationally. Who we know deeply. It's about a relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth and who created us and who knows us and who loves us unconditionally. We've, we've explored this theme recently here about the desire of every human being to be fully known and fully loved. And we think those things are, are, are impossible. If somebody fully knows us, they couldn't fully love us. But the reality is, God does just that. He fully knows us, and yet He fully loves us. And what we've said here before is He loves us exactly where we are, no matter where you are right now, no matter what you're in the midst of, no matter what you're going through. He loves you. But He loves you so much, He doesn't want to just leave you where you are. And that doesn't just mean in your circumstance, which we'll talk about. But that means in the condition you're in. Maybe, maybe you're hopeless, maybe you're filled with despair, and He doesn't want to leave you there. And oftentimes, as we're going to talk about, He'll use our circumstance to bring focus to our condition, because God ultimately is more concerned with our condition than our circumstance. So I want to talk about that this morning, because we can hear testimonies of other people and their experiences with God, uh, and that can encourage us. God will certainly use that. Uh, but at the same time, the invitation is a deeply personal one to each of us. We can, we can be with Jesus together. We can, we can walk with Jesus together. But we cannot walk together with Jesus, if that makes sense. In other words, my walk is not your walk. In our primary relationship, the main thing is our own individual relationship with the Lord. That's what we need to focus on. And then when we come together as a group of people... 
We're dedicated to finding out God's will for our lives as individuals and collectively. But I think sometimes, you know, I was, I was sharing the other day on the Zoom conference that it's a great blessing to be able to stay connected to each other. And I know that that's a strength and people rely on that and that's good. That's certainly part of it. But don't allow that to be a substitute for your time alone with God. You know, I, I've, I've shared before and I read that, uh, I, you know, I read somewhere that it says there's no revelation without a wilderness. You see it throughout Scripture. Uh, you see it in Jesus' life. But there's no revelation without a wilderness. We, we can't hear the voice of God if we don't take time for solitude, if we don't slow down enough to listen to that still, small voice. And we have a unique opportunity right now to do just that. So it's good to rely on each other in a sense, but ultimately rely on Him. Don't allow the thing that you, that you need the most to be connection to others. Allow the thing that you need the most, your connection to God, to become more and more apparent. So take advantage of this time. Use it to grow in faith. Use it to mature as a believer. I've shared recently, it's not just about what we're doing during these times. There's a lot of things we ought to be doing. We ought to be serving. We ought to be compassionate. We ought to be aware and, and, and concerned and, and have an ear and an eye open to what's going on around us. But it's also important, who are we becoming during this time? What, what is this time doing in our own personal walk? Is our faith increasing? Are we maturing? Are we becoming more patient? Patient. More patient, right? We could all use more patience. Are we becoming more compassionate? Because God wants to use circumstances and difficulties to bring about good in each of us. And so, um, King David in Psalm 34, he wrote this. He said, I will extol the Lord at all times. Not at some time, not just when things were good. At all times. I will, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. And then he says this, Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Because David understood this blessing and praise. David understood that despite what's going on around you, if you can praise the Lord in that, if you can still have the perspective that he is God and he is good and ultimately he's in control, it doesn't mean that you're not cautious or, or concerned. It doesn't mean that you don't have emotions as a human being. But it means that ultimately, if no matter what's going on, you can praise the Lord. There's, there's a great blessing in that. And David knew that. It's easy for us to praise the Lord when everything's going great. You know, then sometimes we're, just, we're not necessarily praising the Lord for who He is, but we're just praising Him for what He's done. Where, you know, praise the Lord because my family's healthy and my, you know, my finances are good and all those things. Well, anybody can do that. But can you praise the Lord now? You know, we used to joke at Teen Challenge, guys, you know, would either get in trouble or there'd, you know, be some difficulty and we'd look at each other. And, you know, it was kind of a joke, but we were serious and we'd say, can you praise Him now? And I'll never forget, I was doing a construction job. I know, hard to believe, but I was doing a construction job. And I was trying to load, a, we had rented a piece of equipment. I was trying to load it on a trailer. And so I was standing on like the, the hitch on the truck and I went to lift it up. And the, the side of the thing came down and it hit my knee and I, I saw white flashes. I'd never been in so much pain. And a guy on the side of me looked at me and he said, can you praise him now? I wanted to, to punch him in the face, but I didn't. But can you praise him now, right? Can you praise him in the midst of great difficulty? So King David saying, Let the afflicted hear and, rejo and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can we do that this morning, church? Can we exalt his name together? He continues, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Are you seeking the Lord right now? Are you crying out? Are you trying to find him in the midst of this? Lord, I know you're there. Be with me. Change me. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. How are we trying to be delivered from our fears? Are we seeking the Lord? Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. And then verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Those are promises. And we're going to look deeper at what that means. 
but you can't taste and see for me. I can't taste and see for you. So don't take my word for it, or don't take Pastor Jamie's word for it, or don't take the word of some other Christian you know. Again, that may be what draws you to Christ, seeing what he did in someone else's life, but don't stop there. Taste and see for yourself, because the Lord has something he wants to do in your life. Don't settle for hearing what God did in somebody else's life. I remember here, I remember a, a brother came to me one time and he said, man, it's so amazing what God did in your life. You know, he said, I, I look and, you know, I'm so amazed. What a great blessing. He goes, you know, I, I wish that God would, would work in my life. And I said, well, you know, what do you think? It's a different God? Cry out to him because he hadn't gotten to the end of himself. You have to get to the end of yourself. Everybody does. And so taste and see for yourself. Now, taste is literally to perceive by experiencing, right? So there's a conscious decision to be involved. Now, now, folks my age, and I never thought I would say that, but folks my age, right? Some may remember the TV commercial years ago for Life Cereal. And some of you are going, what? What are you talking about? Those boys, you know, reluctant to try the cereal that their mother had bought. And so they're like, well, let's get Mikey, right? Everybody remembers that? And Mikey will try it. Mikey will try anything, and that reminds me of the way some people approach a relationship with God. You know, some people, they're more than willing to give their opinion about God, but they don't even really know Him. You know, they know information about Him. They claim to know all about living a spiritual life, but they've never had an authentic conversation with God. They've never tasted. They've only observed. And so tasting God doesn't mean, hey, 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 you try it first. Tasting God means taking a step of faith. It means a leap, a leap of faith. It means taking him at his word. It means, it means saying this. Ultimately, this is the Christian life. I commit my life to you. What do you want to do with me? I mean, that's it. And I know it's scary. I know it is. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to delve a little bit into this. But you, you say that to God. You honestly say you take my life and do with it what you will. And you watch beyond your, your wildest dreams. You watch what God will do. And you'll look back and you'll say, man, I... You know, I wish I would have done this sooner, right? So, tasting. If tasting is to perceive by experience, then seeing is knowing by that same experience. It's, it's, it's knowledge, it's understanding based upon that, that tasting, based upon that experience. You see, there's something that happens when you take that leap of faith. There's something on the inside that validates that closeness with God that you realize that this is a real relationship. There's an old expression of doubt that says, I'll believe it when I see it. But with God, it sometimes kind of seems to be the other way around. That you never actually see until you believe. And what, it is, what is it that we see? Well, what we see, according to David, is that the Lord is good. And some of the greatest truths in life are beyond proofs, right? Love being the most significant. I can't prove to you that I love somebody or they, they love me. I can give you a set of facts that, you know, that I base that on. Well, they do this or they, you know. But ultimately, you can't prove that. But that's as real as anything. We build our lives around love, right? That's the, the great blessing of God. Love, love God first and love one another, right? You can't prove that. It's beyond proof. But again, it's foundational. It's real. It's authentic. Everything else, in some sense, is built upon that. So this morning, I want to talk about friendship with Jesus. And we said to be a follower of Jesus ultimately means responding to a series of invitations to deeper intimacy with Him. Some of this stuff comes from a message that Billy Graham did. And I took some of the principles. It's a beautiful message. It's timeless. But he said this. He said, again and again in the Bible, men and women are graciously invited to enter into a personal fellowship with God. The Bible is a book of invitations from God to mankind, urging us to become His partners and redeeming the world. That's what the church is. The church isn't here in this building. The church is there. is a people. It's not a place. We are partners with God in redeeming the world. That's what the church is. That's the goal of the church. 
It's to be uh, ambassadors for Christ. It's to spread the gospel. It's great to come together. It's great to hear a word, to be encouraged as, as believers. But if we're encouraged and we hear a word and we're equipped, but then we don't go out and do anything with that equipping, then, then what are we doing? You know, I've used the analogy before. If you went to med school and you graduated at the top of your class and you got your, your license to practice medicine, but you never saw a single patient, are you a physician? Or are you just somebody who paid way too much money to go to school and, and right, has all this knowledge and information, but you're not using it to do what it was intended to do? Are we doing that with our Christianity? Are we filled with head knowledge? Are we going to service after service? Or are we ambassadors for Jesus? Are we partnering with God and redeeming the world? Church, ask yourself now, are we doing our part? Wherever we are, are we doing our part? And so the first invitation, and some would say my favorite, some of that would pick on me like Darren and some others, is the invitation to rest. Darren, I heard him say before, every time you preach, it's always on rest. Maybe we need rest, right? But Jesus himself said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Right now, there are people who are weary, who are burdened. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you a rest that it's not just a physical rest. It's much deeper than that. It's a a rest that fills that spiritual longing, that deep-seated anxiety and uncertainty you have. And Jesus says, come to me. And only when we come to him will that restlessness go away. Will that restlessness be replaced by joy. I talked last week about the deep restlessness we all feel living apart from God. And that's true. And that's true when things are good. And maybe in some sense we're more aware of it when things are bad. When things are good, it's still there. We're just distracted. So we don't think of it much. But it's still there. It's the human condition. The first you know, evidence of, of sin in the garden, the, the results and the impact of that sin was our relationship with God was severed. There was definitely that relationship. But it was also an inner turmoil. So as they were naked, they, they were ashamed Right, So the sin immediately, all of a sudden, where we don't even feel comfortable in our own skin, literally, we feel ashamed. There's an identity crisis. We feel like not only is something wrong out there, but something's wrong in here. That's what sin does. We're born with that. You can talk to anybody throughout history in the human uh, condition, and the reality is that that's true. That's countercultural. That doesn't matter geographically where you live. That doesn't matter your circumstance. Deep down inside, we know that to be true. Billy Graham commented further, Psychologists schooled in the intricate workings of the mind are confessing that psychology is helpless to solve all the mental and nervous disturbances of people today. Sociologists trained in the interactions of society are admitting that sociology cannot cope with the tremendous problems in human relationships. Political leaders point out that the moral ills in America, they, I'm sorry, they point out the moral ills in America, but none of them seem to have an answer. And they privately admit they are unable to cope with the seriousness of the moral dilemma facing the world today. Every day, he says, I come in contact with mix-up, paradoxical men and women, rich people who are held in the grip of insecurity, intellectual people who have lost their way, strong people who live in fear of weakness and defeat. I long to take every one of them by the hand and lead them into the presence of the Savior who said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why die of thirst when you stand upon the brink of a lake? Why starve to death when you are within arm's length of the living bread? A second invitation is one to discipleship. And we, we, you know, we say here to be and make disciples or disciples who make disciples. It's not enough to just be a disciple of Jesus. A healthy disciple replicates. Jesus started his church with 12 and it went from there. So Jesus says in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Are we fishing? No matter what we're doing, are we fishing? I know Dylan's fishing, but the rest of us, are we fishing? Do we see ourselves as those ambassadors for Jesus, as partners in redemption? Are we fishing? 
Are we using circumstances? Are we using our testimony to draw others into Christ? Because that's the main goal of a Christian. If all Jesus wanted to do was get us saved, we'd get saved and we'd go to heaven and that would be it. But we're here not for ourselves. We're here primarily in a spiritual sense for others. We're saved to serve. We are redeemed to reproduce. And we are fished out of the miry clay so that in turn we become fishers of men. Jesus challenges us. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, then my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father, him my father will honor. In John 12, verse 26. Christian discipleship gives us the privilege of being associated with Christ intimately. One of the best ways you can get out of yourself is to begin to serve and love others. Take your focus off of your own circumstance and focus it outward. You know, so many times in my life when I, you know, I was going through stuff and you know, I couldn't get out of my own way and something would happen. Oftentimes I wasn't strong enough to do it or I wasn't mature enough spiritually to do it on my own, but something would force me out of my own situation. Something would happen and I would have to be there for somebody else. And I'd find out in that exchange and trying to minister and trying to be there for somebody else and being used of God and the life of another, I would forget what it was that I was dealing with. Not that it wasn't still there, but it somehow seemed less significant in the grand scheme of things. Perspective changes everything. The third invitation is to live in an ongoing awareness of His presence. To dwell in the house of the Almighty. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Of John, in John 15, 4, we're going to be reading a little more in John 15. And if I could, if I could leave you with, with Scripture reading, and you, nobody can say, well, I don't have time to read Scripture. That's one of the, one of the benefits, right? Where we can read the Bible or you can listen to it. You can listen to the audio, but just read John chapter 15. Because we're, we're going to be in there for a little bit. But just read that and be blessed to hear what Jesus says, the promises that are there. But salvation is dwelling with God. King David in Psalm 91.1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That language, to dwell and to abide, it's constant. It's not a one time. It's, it's dynamic. It, it's, it's, a, it's an overwhelming sense of your home ultimately is in Christ and with Christ. This comfort, you know, you think of home and you think of that's a place of, of security and safety and comfort. At least it's supposed to be. I know if not for everybody, which is tragic. And that's another thing that we can consider nowadays. When our, our safety and our security and, and all these things are, are threatened, again, be empathetic. There are people that every day they feel like that. That they've never had a place, a home, where they feel safe and secure. And so maybe that's so foreign to us, and now with this uncertainty, we can have a sense and, a, and an empathy for other people. You see, the third invitation is to live in an ongoing awareness in the, of the presence of God. Now, if we read through John 15, and we're going we're gonna to get through most of it, but scholars call this the farewell discourse of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. He's with His disciples. They've already seen Him feed the 5,000. They've seen Him raise Lazarus. And He has a last meal with them. And then He gets up and He quietly washes their feet. One of the most beautiful uh, illustrations in Scripture. After, after all that teaching, after everything they knew, after everything they believed, they still didn't understand. They still didn't get it. And Jesus had this beautiful picture of humility, of doing the thing that, that was reserved for the lowest of the low. And here is God come to earth, washing the dirty, grimy feet of these men. I mean, I'm not, I'm not preaching about that necessarily, but what a beautiful illustration of what it means to be a servant of Jesus. We all rush away from the things we don't want to do. We all want the glory. And Jesus got the cross for His ministry. So he has a last meal with them. He gets up, he washes his feet, and they've come to believe who Jesus is. They've seen him teach and preach, and they watch the way he lives for three years now. And soon he will be crucified. He's teaching his disciples, his close friends. He knows that his time on this earth will end. And Jesus is explaining the relationship he has with his followers 
And, and, and with us, right, with all of his followers, his disciples then and his disciples now, and the model he uses is the relationship with his own, his own relationship with the Father. That's the model. Jesus' relationship with the Father is the model for our relationship with him. And so he begins, I am the true vine, chapter 15, verse 1, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And again, that seems fair, right? At some point, you don't bear fruit, you're taken away. That, that, maybe we don't like that, but we kind of get that. But then this next part, you know, we want to cross this off. This doesn't seem fair. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Wait a minute, hold on, that doesn't seem right. I mean, if I don't bear fruit, that makes sense. You know, I, I kind of get kicked off the team. But if I'm a star player, right, if I'm bearing fruit, what are you, you, know, what are you doing to me here? Why would you prune me? That doesn't seem right. That's painful. I don't like pruning, Jesus. Well, remember what I said, it's not about you. And when it says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, when we look at this life in light of eternity, it's, it, it's so insignificant as to be almost not even, not even talked or thought about. Right? When we have that eternal perspective. And if we can be more fruitful for the kingdom, if we can do lasting, eternal things for God, then of course that's what we ought to do. And so what what this is saying, whether we like it or not, is that if you're bearing fruit for God, He's going to prune you. He's going to shape you. He's going to take away the bad stuff and allow you to flourish and allow you to live. And it may be painful at the time, but ultimately it's for your good. I think, and I've used this illustration as a parent, I love my kids. I don't want to withhold good things from them, but there are, you know, it's like if you have a real little kid, what do they want to do? They want to eat cereal or eat candy bars all day. My wife might say I would probably let my kids do that, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't eventually. I would tell them to stop. But, but what happens? Well, your kids, when they're young, they don't know. Why can't I have candy bars for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So what do you do? You set limits. Not because you don't want them to have what they need ultimately, but because you know better than them. And so God knows what we need better than we do. And God does ultimately want what's best for us. And we might not see it at the time. We might not understand it at the time. But that's where faith comes in. That's what we trust. You know, are we, are we, is our trust in outcomes? Is our hope in what we want to see happen? Or is our hope in God Himself? And we're going we're gonna to look at that as well. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus is saying there's a, there's a relationship there. There's a, a, mutual, uh, a, a mutual relationship. There's an intimacy. There's a depth. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you, you can do nothing. Now, obviously, we know that we can do things. We can do some things. We build. We do all kinds of things as humans. But what's Jesus saying? You can do nothing eternal. You can do nothing lasting. You know, all, ultimately, it's all going to burn. It's all going to be cast away. Nothing's going to last. But the eternal, but the things that are done in the spirit realm. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he says this in verse 8. By this, (coughs) excuse me, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what glorifies God? What proves that we are His disciples? When the fruit that we bear is not the result of our own talent or even the result particularly of our own effort but a result of our abiding, a result of our surrender, a result of our cooperation with the Spirit of God. You know, what if, what if instead of right now, you thought, you know, you think of all the stuff you want to do for God and all the stuff you think you should do for God. What if you just committed, as you read through John 15, as you pray to abide in Him, to say, Lord, I want to commit myself. I want to surrender to You. I don't have any 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 you know, preordained plans. I don't, I don't have anything I know I'm committed to. And so you guide me. Lord, I'm available to you. You know, open up opportunities. Show me what you'd have me do. And then have the faith to do what he's calling you to do. What if, 
we did that. Instead of us having a spiritual list of what to do. And again, I'm not saying not to do that. I'm not saying we, we don't, we're not intentional. We need to be intentional. You don't just sit back, I'm waiting for God to talk to me. As soon as he tells me, I'm going to... No, that's not what I mean. But I mean, have a sense of listen to that voice of God. God, I'm available. Give me opportunities. I want to serve you. Instead of always defining what that's supposed to look like. Right now, maybe, we, you know, well, how can I minister? I'm in home. Or what am I going to do? Just tell, say, Lord, I'm available to you. Use me right now. Use me in somebody's life. Probably the phone's going to ring and somebody's going to need you to pray for them. You'd be surprised what happens. <clears throat> so what glorifies God? What proves we are disciples when the fruit that we bear, again, isn't the result of our talent, but a cooperation with the Spirit of God? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his, in his love. So commandments and love seem to be connected, right? And we wouldn't think that. Well, what it, you know, commandments are rules. What does that have to do with love? And again, it goes right back to the principle that a parent, a good parent, sets guidelines to help a child live in the best way. If you just have kids and you go, you know what? I love you so much, I don't want you to have any rules. You just do what you want. You're going to probably raise the worst kid ever, right? I mean, we know that. It makes sense to us. But yet we can't understand we rebel when God's trying to do the same thing. And he's perfect and we're imperfect. And yet we know this. This makes sense. So commitments and love are connected if we see, wait, if God's telling me to do things a certain way and he created me and he knows how I, I'm going to flourish and he knows what's best for me, maybe I ought to walk in faith to that. Maybe I ought to believe, even if it doesn't make sense to me, that there might be something there. And then Jesus says this. And you know, maybe up until this point you're wondering, you know, well, what is this all about? Why, why this teaching? And Jesus says this in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, if I would have started this sermon and I would have said, okay, what we're going to talk about is how to experience the joy of the Lord and how, to, and how to have a full joy. Everybody would have been like, I'm in. You know, tell me how to do it. That's great. But I did. We just started at the, you know, we get pruned. And then when we bear fruit, we get pruned more. And we don't like that. But what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying with this whole discourse on abiding to his friends when he's about to leave the earth? He's saying, I'm telling you this stuff. So that you can be filled with joy. So that the thing you're going you're gonna to spend your whole life seeking after, that's going to seem elusive to you, I'm telling you right now how to find that. How to find a fullness of joy. And I understand when the world doesn't believe those promises. But Christians, do we believe those promises? Or are we still trying to find joy in everything else with everywhere else? And then Jesus, this isn't just stuff he says. Right, He says this, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is not just asking us to do something that he himself doesn't do to the extreme. We can't give up our own will for each other. And this means this giving up your life for your friend. In some instances, it's a, it's a physical life, but it's deeper than that. What Jesus is saying is not just to give up our physical lives one time, but when you have a chance to serve. When you have a chance, and, and instead of fighting to be right, what if you fought to be loving? What if we were just as concerned about winning a soul as we were about winning an argument? Do we, do we want to be right at the expense of being loving? Because a lot of testimonies get lost that way. Doesn't mean truth isn't truth. Doesn't mean we don't stand for righteousness. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about we're more concerned with winning an argument or proving somebody that our, that our knowledge is, is correct or that, our, you know, and again, truth is truth. I'm not, I, I understand that. But what, 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 what battles are we fighting? This means more than just giving up our physical lives. This means giving up our will and our preferences for the benefit of others. And then Jesus says this, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Remember, this is the relational piece. Jesus is saying, my relationship with my Father and now your relationship with me. That's the model. And Jesus is like, look guys, you know this stuff. You're my friends now. We're friends. We're, we're partners in this ministry. Friends of Jesus. I wish, you know, and Pema says, are you a Christian? I want to say, well, I'm a friend of Jesus, right? I'm a follower of Christ. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you. Appointed us to do what? I appointed you to go to church and to learn. I appointed you to memorize scripture. I appointed you to believe everything that I told you. Yes, yep. But what Jesus says is you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that we, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So what does he command us to do to go forward and bear fruit? What does fruit look like for the kingdom ultimately? Salvation, saved souls, the joy of the Lord. It means partnering with God in, in the redemption of humanity. We are called to be friends of Jesus. We are appointed by God to bear fruit. So what are we doing or are we surprised when we face opposition? Are we surprised when trials come? When Jesus says, take heart. You know, in this world you will face trouble. In this world there will be difficulty. It doesn't say there might be. It doesn't say if your theology is correct, there's not going to be. The only thing you're guaranteed in this life is the presence of Christ Himself. That's it. Not, not, not uh, removal from trials and difficulties. Jesus isn't say it's going to be easy. In fact, he's going to go on and talk about the hatred of the world. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do we want to be loved by the world? Is that our ultimate goal in this life? Because for some of us, we might say it's not, but our, the way we behave, the way we live would, would show otherwise. It would betray what we, what we claim to be our faith. It's easy to please the world. It's easy to, to make the world love you. But Jesus says, look, if you were of the world, if you were still of the world, the world would have you as its own. Now, that doesn't mean we create obstacles. That doesn't mean we become arrogant and offensive in that sense. I mean, the gospel's an offense. We, we know that. To, to those who are perishing, it doesn't make sense. We, we understand the spiritual element. But that doesn't mean as human beings we get in the way. Christians should be known by the way we love, right? Not by arrogance and hypocrisy and some of those things. Later on, Jesus is going to talk about the need for him to go away. Why? So that the helper can come. So that the Holy Spirit can come to convict of us of sin, to lead us into truth, to comfort us. It's easy for Christians to feel dejected and hopeless about what is ahead of them in this world. And we know and we hear people repeat Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. That doesn't say some things that doesn't say most things. That says all things. You know, if you come to this church, you've probably heard my testimony, but I know there's a lot of people uh, listening, watching that may not know. And so I just want to briefly share the worst thing that ever happened to me in my whole life, hands down, was an overdose that ended up having me hospitalized and then in rehab. For, for a length of time, I was in Teen Challenge for 15 months, separated from my wife and at the time two children, uh, my father facing a cancer diagnosis, battling that. Worst thing that happened to me, you know, it seems like the end, you can't, where do you, where do you, go, where do you go from there? I'm 33 years old, you know, had, you know, good family, good upbringing, and then now, you know, these 14 years later, if you would say, what was the best thing that have happened to you in a spiritual sense? I would say that I overdosed and ended up in a hospital. And then in rehab. And the reason is because that's what it took to get me to the end of myself. 
And we all got to get to the end of ourselves. So it doesn't matter what gets you there, but it matters that you get there. And I know that people like to criticize those kinds of conversions. I've heard people say, well, obviously, if people are in prison or, you know, they're addicted or they, they have health scares, obviously, you know, those people are, are going to, you know, are going to rely on God. They need a crutch. I'd say that that's fair, but here's the thing. If a man's drowning and he grabs the life preserver, you don't call him a fool if the life preserver works. You call him a fool if he refuses to grab it because he's too stubborn and prideful and says, no, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I can swim. No, but you're going to drown. No, 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 I can do it. But there's a life preserver there. No, I got this. You wouldn't say, well, he was strong. He was strong all the way to the bottom of the lake. Now he's dead. And so it's not just faith that's good. I know people like to say that. It's the object of our faith. You see, yes, maybe it was addiction that brought me to the end of myself, but when I grabbed onto that life preserver, that is Jesus Christ. He was there, and He remains there. And once you know that kind of security and that kind of preservation, you're a fool to walk away. How can you walk away? Where are you going to go? You can't unknow the truth once you know it. And so, yes, I need a crutch. Absolutely, I need a crutch. And instead of alcohol or drugs or a host of other things that all kind of people use and have used from the history, beginning of the world, my crutch is Jesus Christ. And I say amen to that. Because it's not just the subject. It's not our subjective faith. It's not the strength of our faith. If your faith is stronger than somebody else's, that's good. You can have all the faith in the world and you can pray to a tree all day long and it's not going to change a thing. But you pray to God and not only does it sometimes change our circumstance, but it always changes us. I'm preaching now. Come on. Listen. It's the, it's the, 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 object of our faith, the source of our strength that has the power. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 15, 30, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13 through 18, because people say, well, you know, Jesus is a good teacher, and you know that, I mean, that's good that you believe in him, and that's good that you believe in that, and you know, but you know, there's all kind of good teachers and all that, and Paul says this, and I love that this is in the Bible, and a lot of people, I'll bring them right here. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul's saying, look, if there was no resurrection, if Jesus didn't die and then come to life, which doesn't happen, so if that happened, it's a pretty good indicator that he's God, that he's who he claimed to be. Paul's saying, if that didn't happen, our preaching is not somewhat helpful it's not, well, you know, pull, pull out the good that you can and get rid of the stuff and, you know, write a book like Thomas Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible, just the stuff you like and, and get rid of the, the other stuff. No. Paul says this, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, if your faith isn't in the risen Christ, then it's useless. It doesn't matter. And he continues, more than that, we've been found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. Paul's saying, if all Jesus can do for you, is comfort your, your experience here on earth or make you think you're a better person or, or give you, you know, a, a teacher to follow. If that's all Jesus does for you, that's not good. In fact, of all people, you ought to be most pitied, Paul's saying. This is powerful. I mean, this is right in the Word. So when people say, well, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good example. He never claimed to be those things. His power comes from the fact that he's the Son of God. And again, I know people like to say it's good to have faith. But it's the object of the faith that makes all the difference. You see, only because He's God was He able to live a perfect life and die for the forgiveness of our sins. Only because He is God did He overcome the grave. The power of Christ comes not from what we think about Him. He is God regardless of what we think about Him. 
You see, I got to the end of myself to finally rely on that power, to finally say, I'm drowning to the point where I don't care what anybody thinks. I need a life preserver. But everybody needs a life preserver. Sometimes you've got to just realize you're drowning before you reach out and find one. And I pray right now in the midst of maybe uncertainty or anxiety that you reach for that life preserver that is Jesus Christ. So again, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. I know that right now it may be hard to see any blessing or any benefit in the midst of this. But perhaps only because of what is happening around us have you decided to view this live stream. To hear the good news that Jesus cares more about your circumstance. I mean more about you than your circumstance. He cares more about your condition than your circumstance. And He will and does use our circumstance, what's going on around us, to focus us on our condition on the great need that each of us have for God. On the great need that each of us have for Jesus Christ and for redemption and for a new life. Only now are many of us forced to slow down, to pause. And I know for a lot of people, they don't have that benefit. You know, for many of us, we, we, we need to slow down. For... For some people, they're getting outside more. I've been trying to go for a walk. Some of us are sleeping in a little bit more. Some of us need to rest. Now, my wife would say, I do that all the time. I need to sleep in less. So you could be one of those people too. But some people, you know, rest. Rest. Take a physical rest. Relax. It's okay to relax. Coming together. Yeah, I know there's division, but there's also cooperation. Take a look at it. Because I know that, you know, sometimes the media wants to always focus on the negative. Maybe that's what sells. But I look around and I see a spirit of cooperation. Because right now, this is a human problem. This isn't a Republican problem or a Democrat problem or an American problem or a rich person problem or a poor person problem. This is a human problem. This is affecting each one of us. And so people are coming together. And I want you to continue to pray for all the doctors and the nurses, for the medical professionals, for the police and the firefighters, the grocery store workers, the truck drivers, the utility workers, so many other people I'm sure I'm not mentioning, but the frontline workers who instead of being able to stay home with their families are committed to helping others, who continue to go so that society will function. Those people that maybe don't have an opportunity now to rest, let's pray that at some point they do. And that we do whatever we can to step up so they can. But only now are many people stopping to consider what their ultimate security is really found in. Because here's the thing. If your ultimate security is in your health, or your wealth, or your relationships, you are keenly aware now that any of those things can be gone in an instant. That those things cannot last. So we consider eternal things in times like these. Just like at a funeral, the Bible says there's a benefit to mourning because it causes us to have sober thoughts about life and death. There's a a benefit to uncertainty. There's a benefit to to looking around and and wondering, you know, reevaluating what is my hope in ultimately? I know we want to say it's in Jesus, but is it really? In Jesus. And finally, David, David tells us to take refuge. To take refuge in means to trust. See, we cannot see the future. We've never been able to see the future. We can't see tomorrow. But God can. And so trusting our lives and our future to the one who holds that future is the only sane decision. In some of John Wesley's sermons, he described an experimental uh, uh, aspect of religious activities and experiencing uh, 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 of God's power in one's life. And Henry Blackaby is, is known for his experiencing God's writings. And he contends that when we cooperate with the move of God in our lives, we grow as a strong and useful disciple. When we cooperate 
With the move of God in our lives, we grow as a strong and useful disciple. It is this that we see here. A person tastes by committing himself into a leap of faith to God's control over his life. Because of this leap, there is a seeing, a knowing deep down that God is truly good. And faith is born strong in the inner self, which leads to a content heart and a soul, a happiness that comes from within. You see, David knew what he was talking about. When he was tasting and seeing and trusting, David was among the most happiest of men. The same with us. When we're tasting and seeing and trusting in the Lord, we have a joy that surpasses understanding. But each time, when David got away from God, when David trusted his own ways, his own strength, and his own desires, we see David become one of the most miserable people on the planet. And the same thing is true with each one of us. You see, David would write about being incredibly blessed, and then he would recount the emptiness of having forfeited the presence of God for something. Church, I beg you, don't forfeit the presence of God for anything. I can tell you about my experience with God. I can share my testimony. And maybe this morning I can encourage you through God's Word. But I'm inviting you deeper. God is inviting you deeper. See, I can describe to you my favorite food, which is fish and chips from Hortus, which is closed down, by the way. Very heartbreaking. And now, if you don't like that, some of you are just like, okay, I'm already disgusted. That's, that's okay. Well, you know, insert your favorite food there. You can, you know, broccoli, lettuce, whatever, I don't know, tofu burgers, whatever, whatever people like. But I can tell you about the smell and the taste. I can tell you how good the tata sauce is on the french fries. Now, I know some of you are grossed out, right? So, again, how good the, what do you put on tofu burgers? The, I don't know, fat-free mayonnaise, whatever it is, right? The point is this. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the taste when I take a bite? Do you taste it too? I can describe the smell and the texture. I can describe the taste, but do you taste it? Are you satisfied? Are you happy simply hearing about my taste, my appetites? Are you happy? Are you satisfied just hearing about somebody else's testimony of what God's done in their life? Of course not. Of course not. Maybe you heard. Maybe you imagined. Maybe your mouth may have watered. Maybe you've tried to ignore my rudeness at eating without you, but you didn't get near it, did you? You were just as empty as when we started. In order for you to see how good something is, you've got to taste it for yourself. You know, it's funny when something's bad, the first thing we do is we immediately give it to somebody else, right? Oh, this tastes horrible. Here, try it. No, you told me it tastes horrible. I don't want to. Why would I want to try it? This is like just the opposite of that, right? Just the opposite. We taste and see that the Lord is good, and we have this experience. We're like, man, you've got to get to know. People say, why are you so, you know, you Jesus people are all crazy about Jesus. Because we've tasted and seen. Because we know what it's like. Because we've clung to the life preserver. Because we're alive today. Because we have the joy of the Lord today. That's why. And what do you do when something's amazing? You say, man, you have to experience this for yourself. And that's what we're called to do, church. And if you're miserable, it's like, yeah, here, try this. It's okay. You're not always encouraged by that. But if you say, man, you've got to taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. That's life-changing. I'm telling you about a living water that will quench your thirst forever. I'm talking about a bread of life that will satisfy ultimately. And so I beg you, don't take my word for it. Don't take Pastor Jamie's word for it. Don't take the testimony of somebody else and leave it just there. Try for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, as we close the worship song. The lyrics of this last song remind us of the story in Mark 4 
verse 35 through 41, where Jesus calms a storm. And it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to me, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Such a human reaction, right? God, are you even here right now? Do you care? Do you see what's going on, Lord? Or are you just sleeping in the boat? And verse 39 says, And he, Jesus, awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And this will too cease, and there will be a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so, church, why are we still afraid? Have we still no faith? You see, they saw the miracles. They knew who Jesus was. But still their faith was shaken. Perhaps yours is as well. I say to you, rest assured, because we worship the one who still commands the wind and the sea. The lyrics of this song Say, grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calm and broken for my regard. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And through it all, through it all, it is well. The prayer and the hope of my heart is that through it all, each of us are able to say it is well because we know intimately the one who is in control of everything. Still know. 
Give your life to Jesus. Watch what God does with you. I promise you, we say it around here a lot, there is no better life. I love and I miss being with you. The leaders of South Coast Community Church are, are here if you need us, so don't hesitate to reach out. May the Lord bless you and keep you all. Let's close now in prayer. Father, we thank you that no matter where we are, that no matter what we're going through, that no matter the hardness of our hearts, that your word and your spirit penetrate, that your power changes lives and eternities. And so we thank you for the power of your spirit here in this place now. And we know that that same spirit, that the same power is working wherever anyone is listening to you, listening to this word. So continue to have your way. Continue to help us to be the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.